Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'd like, thank you all for tuning in to the show. As always, I got my crew with me, Darnell and Tyler. I'm Trey, and we're coming your way with the 73rd edition of the Don't Kill the Messages podcast. First thing we're about to get into for this week is the UFC. Uh, we have a pay-per-view coming up. It's UFC 2 at 213. Uh, we have Nunez and Shevchenko. They're going to be headlining this pay-per-view. Uh, just before we get into that, uh, just Darnell, just looking at it, um, just what are your thoughts on this pay-per-view, man? Um, you know, back when Rousey was dominating the division, uh, you know, she was an instant sell. Now they got Nunez, she's a champ. Uh, how do you think this pay-per-view is going to sell? I mean, I don't think it'll be terrible. Uh, it'll, it'll probably be, I guess, not a blockbuster card as far as star power goes, just because... <clears throat> It's, there's two championship fights, yeah. uh, which is always exciting where you got belts on the line, but uh, Amanda Nunez, she she's very good, a uh, fun fighter to watch. Uh, she has a worthy opponent in Valentina Shevchenko, uh, but both of them are still pretty much relative no names to the casual fan. Yeah. Uh, but the co-main uh, with uh, Yoel Romero and Robert Whitaker is two guys that can thump. Like they they can they can throw hands, but also it's just like it's not the middleweights of of old. It's like you nobody with the star power of a uh, Anderson Silva or or even the the sideline champion of Michael Bisping is probably a, a bigger draw than both of them combined. Uh, you do have a heavyweight fight with two two mainstays uh, with with Reem and Verdun. Uh, you have a guy that was on a Wheaties box at one point with Anthony Pettis on the car, but yeah. nobody's like lighting that that fire. Where I think there's going to be a, a huge selling pay per view, but yeah. I mean, it'll it'll be okay. Uh, like this is a fight that I feel like is on the margins. Like it, it could be a pay per view, but I wouldn't have been mad if it was like on Fox either. Yeah. Uh, but you know, take what you can get, I guess. Yeah. You know, I like my man Overeem, man, but uh, I was very amped to see uh, Cerrone and Lawler get it on in this fight, man. Uh, just got news this week that Cerrone, uh, due to a groin injury, he's going to be not going to be able to make this fight happen uh, for 213. But good news is we could possibly, how, how the word's going and everything like that, we could be checking them out for 214. So it's not going to be that long of a wait, but. It would have been great to see these two get it on, especially uh, they were already supposed to fight before, but this is the second time this fight had to get uh, pulled uh, due to injuries, I believe. So uh, that sucks, man. I really wanted to see these two get it on uh, this time, but it's going to have to be wait a little bit. Agreed. Yeah. Now, first fight that we're about to get into is um, Anthony Pettis and uh, Jim Miller. Uh, this is what we believe is going to be the uh, main fight. We'll start the fight off uh, for UFC 213. Uh, could possibly make it um, Travis Brown and Olenek, I believe is his name. Uh, they could possibly start it off, but they don't. we haven't got word yet on who uh, the UFC is going to possibly put somebody else in there uh, to replace Cerrone and Waller yet. But let's get right to Pettison, Jim Miller. Uh, just what are your thoughts on this fight, man? Uh, you know, Showtime's going to be uh, fighting, but hasn't really been looking like Showtime, as you kind of alluded to earlier. Um, he's 
been having trouble making weight in previous fights. Uh, just hasn't really been performing like we usually seen him perform uh, back uh, from a couple years ago, man. So just what are you expecting from these two? Well, I mean, we got two people coming off of losses. Uh, Pettis has had a rougher go at it out of the two fighters. Uh, he's lost four of his last five fights. Uh, tried to change things up for himself by dropping down a weight class after he lost his belt uh, to Rafael Dos Anjos. What was that? Almost over two years ago now. Yeah. Uh, but after losing that, lost two two straight fights after that, did get a win over Charles Oliveira, but then got smoked by uh, Max Holloway in oh, yeah. that uh, interim title fight. And, you know, it's just it's a, a star that faded very quickly, yeah. uh, it seems, uh, you know, and – in 2015, Pettis seemed to be one of the top three names on the top of the sport. Like I said earlier, was on a on a Wheaties box, yeah, uh, due to that Showtime kick and everything. But you know, uh, it seemed to. <clears throat> I'm not sure if he got too comfortable uh, on on his laurels, thinking that he'd be able to do something spectacular to win fights. But it seemed that he stopped training wrestling or. Just didn't care to train wrestling and uh, has been. Yeah, it was seen if you can pressure him, that that was the way to beat him. That's what Dos Anjos did. Alvarez grinded him out. Uh, Barboza grinded him out. Uh, he, he seemed to be looking better against Oliveira, like I said, but then Holloway, uh, who, I mean, after his fight with Jose, I, I've spoken my praises of him, but yeah. uh, we, we saw the drop-off that has been with him uh, as far as him versus an elite fighter. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, this this is a good one uh, for him to test, just like, does he still have what it takes to go against the upper echelon? He's, he's back up at 155 now, uh, like you said, due to the trouble making weight uh, when he tried to drop down. Uh, it seems like this is he, he's one of those tweener types where he, he's smallish for uh, the lightweight division, but it's just kind of tough for him to get up to that heavier weight. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to watch this fight because uh, Miller, he he's a good all around fighter. He doesn't have the greatest hands, but he he can he can keep you off of him. But he he's a wizard on the ground. So, yeah. styles make fights. So this one should be a interesting chess match. Yep. Now, do you think this will go? Um the, uh, the whole, all the rounds, or you think a knockout? Like, how do you feel, man? Who do you got? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if I had to guess on this one, I, I would say it probably is a three-round fight. Yeah. Uh, unless unless Pettish shows something of old for himself and and gets a finish in there. Uh, his his last two fights did end in finishes. He was on the ba- bad end of one of them, but you know. There was a finish there. Uh, Jim Miller, uh, he, he's been in a lot of decisions himself lately. Uh, uh, he's won three out of his last five, but only one of them was by a, a finish. He uh, got a TKO on Takanori Gomi in the first round. but that, That's a year ago now. Yeah. Uh, his three fights after that all, all went to decision, and 
but they were they were against tough fighters. Uh, yeah. Joe Lozon, Tiago Alves, Dustin Poirier, all people that can get in there and go. Uh, but he, he protected himself and didn't didn't get knocked out. Uh, I feel like if if Miller is to be stopped, it's going to be by getting knocked out. I think he's a little too good uh, wrestling and jujitsu to get uh, put in a uh, submission by yeah. Pettis. Yeah. Uh, you know, you basically just covered everything that needed to be said, man. Um, I do think this will go to distance. Uh, I'm going to go with my heart, man. I'm going to feel, I'm, I'm going to go with my man on, uh, Pettis on this one. Uh, just think, uh, you know, we was talking about his losses. Uh, he did have some losses against some tough opponents, man. Uh, Max Holloway, he's a champ now. Uh, that's when he was making his, uh, come up to get ready to take out all though. Uh, had Delson Hose when he had that belt, he was a beast. And then, um, Eddie Alvarez, he was the one that took it from Delson Hose. So, uh, he's pro- fought some pretty marquee guys. Uh, just hopefully, you know, those losses, he learned something, he can be able to take it, uh, to Jen Miller up in this, uh, fight. Now, like I said, I do believe this will go to distance. Uh, this, this is these styles, man. This is going to be interesting to see how these two can get in there. But, uh, I do think, Pettis is, from my heart, I think he's going to be able to get a win out of this one, hopefully. So this would be good for him, man, because uh, those losses have been totaling up and be a good way for him to get back on the right track with a guy against like Jim Miller. So. I was going to say, you're not stuck in 2015 on him, are you? Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not, man. I'm just. What was? <laughs> yeah, just. Hopefully, you know, we can see something on there. He can turn around because the guy, he's a tremendous athlete. Uh, you know, I think this will be a pretty close fight, but uh just think Pettis, man, he'll just find a way to get the job done, hopefully so. I'm rooting for him. I do hope he turns it around. I mean, when he was at his peak, he was a, an amazing talent and fun to watch. But if, if I'm putting my money down, I'm thinking I'm probably more so leaning Miller here just because – uh, he's a smarter fighter, and I think he has a he has more tools, especially if he can pressure Pettis and get him to the ground. Yeah, nothing wrong with that either. Man. All right, uh, any other thoughts on this fight? No. Okay, up next we're about to go to Fabricio Verdun versus Alistair Overeem, my guy. Uh, Last time these guys fought, uh, it was in Strike Force, man. It was not a entertaining fight to say the least. Um, so that's being nice. <laughs> it was, it was pretty bad, man. So hopefully we don't see this, uh, in this upcoming fight, man. Hopefully these guys can get it on. Hopefully see somebody get knocked out. Um, but just, yeah, man, just these styles, uh, you know, uh, Fabricio and Alistair Overeem, what these guys can do in the ring, uh, they put their minds so they can do some amazing things. But like I said, last time they fought in Strike Force, um, it was not a good fight. But uh, just what do you expect for this one? Uh, I mean, this is once again a couple guys that kind of need to find their way. Uh, with Fabricio, I mean, not too long ago, he was on the top of the heavyweight division, uh, holding the championship, but uh, fell in love with his hands, and you know fell at the hands of, of the current champion and uh, yep. Stipe Miocic. Uh, he did bounce back and get a decision over uh, Travis Brown. Uh, I'm not sure how much that says because I, I 
Travis Brown has his his own set of problems where he can't seem to be consistent. Yeah. Uh, Overeem, though, outside of his his fight against uh, Stipe himself, he's been a model of consistency and and vicious consistency in uh, getting knockouts and TKOs uh, out of his last uh, five fights. I mean, they and it, with uh, four wins and three of them by. Uh, TKO or KO. Yeah. Uh, only decision in there was against Roy Nelson, who I mean we know has a big country, job of steel. So, so yeah, I mean we can understand that one. Uh, but you know he he won that decision pretty easily. He he worked Nelson over. Uh, so and even against Stipe, he he put Stipe in trouble uh, early. Uh, in in the one round fight that it was, he did. Land uh, a couple good shots on Stipe, so uh, you can never doubt his hands and feet. Uh, he's, he's a smart fighter. Uh, I think the question here is, what kind of redoom do we get? I, th- I think uh, Overeem is going to fight his fight. I mean, that's just how he's been. Yeah. Uh, he's he's gotten smarter, uh, and and that's been a good thing for him. But uh, Verdum, he he's probably the best jujitsu player in the heavyweight division yet. After he won the title, he he started uh, likening himself to being a, a knockout artist or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it was impressive the fight that he had against Cain Velasquez, uh, and you know he he got the knockout over Mark Hunt, who's another heavy hitter that's uh, amazing. But uh, in in this fight, I think he he would be smart to try to get this to the ground and yeah. and and put it in his territory. Don't. Don't don't try again to strike with a striker. Yeah. Now, who do you have in this one, man? I think I'm going to go with your boy. All right. Uh, uh, he, like I said, outside of uh, the Stipe fight, which he he did land some good shots in the in the one round that it was. Yeah. But uh, both guys, well, after that fight, both both guys didn't know where the, where the hell they were. So yeah, they both got yeah. it in. Mm-hmm. And and I think uh, this fight could have implications where maybe somebody could see Stipe again down the line, depending on how they win this fight. If it if it is that epic fight, or if somebody gets that crazy finish. Uh, but yeah, I think I'm gonna go with uh, Overeem because I'm I'm still not sure that Verdum hasn't totally realized that. Oh, I'm amazing at jujitsu. Maybe I should try to. Get this, get these guys down. Yes, your striking has got gotten a lot better, but let's yeah. use it to get to your strength. Yeah, yeah, basically the same thing as you said. Uh, Fabricio is trying to prove that he's a striker. Uh, Overeem, he's already a well accomplished striker. Uh, so I think Overeem, uh, going with him. By the way, uh, I think he's going to try to stay up and strike with uh for Doom in this fight. Um, and if they try to get it to the ground, I think it's going to be an instance, uh, kind of like with Strike Force, what I alluded to, man, where he's going to try to get it right back up and have it be a boring fight as long as they, he gets a W. So, uh, well, as, as long as we don't have Verdun just laying on his back begging him <laughs> to come up, like, that was awful. Yeah, but it was. So, you know, just hopefully we don't see that again. Um, you know, but yeah, just let let them just stand up. Hopefully, somebody gets knocked out. Want to see my man Overeem get it? But yeah, just like I said, you know, I could I could see what we're doing, man. Like you were saying, you know, he's good uh, being on that mat, but uh, yeah, that was horrible, man. 
So now you you think uh, Reem it'll be a knockout, or you think it's going to go the distance? Uh, uh, if if Overeem wins, yes, I think it's by a finish. Okay. Uh, uh, the the dirtier this fight gets, the more it will play for Overeem. I mean, for for Verdum, actually. Yeah. Uh, true. But but I think uh, Overeem needs to get in there, stay stay out of distance, not of range, and use the superior kickboxing. And uh, if he if he does that, can stick and move. I think the knockout will come. Yeah. Now you you've already. Uh stated that you would like to see uh Kane and Stipe uh for the next uh bout for the title. But um just looking at it man, do you uh you know, regardless do you think uh these whoever wins this fight will be the number one contender or you basically think it's uh still Kane's right now or what? Yeah, I feel like this is probably a de facto number one contender fight or or an eliminator. I mean they're they both, I mean, more so Overeem. I feel like I'd I'd like to see another him get another crack at Stipe since he he was the last person to kind of you know rock him, get him, have him looking a little worse for wear, even though it was for a little bit early in a one round fight. Yeah. But I mean, it, it was an exciting round with their fight. Yeah. Uh, with with the uh, <coughs> Verdum. Miocic fight it just seems like that was one where, like I said, Stipe I mean, just worked him because Overeem forgot what he's good at. Yeah. Yeah, so I will say this, though, man. If it's born like that Strike Force fight, uh, I definitely think it would uh, be given to Kane. So uh, even though, you know, a lot of people could possibly think that this could be uh, the number one contender, whoever wins this fight could be the number one contender. Uh, both of these guys still, you know, got something to prove because if they pull that off, I could definitely see Dana saying, you know, screw it, uh, this guy give it to Kane. So, uh, mm-hmm. both of these guys need to fight with a little, still fight with a little bit of urgency in this one, I believe. So, all right, man. Uh, any other final thoughts for this one? No, just hopefully it's not what the first fight was. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, the next one we have Yoel Romero versus Robert Whitaker. Uh, this is for the interim, uh, middleweight. Well, is this the number one contender or interim? Yeah, it's the interim, right? Uh, it's for an interim yeah, title, yeah. Yeah, for the interim, uh, middleweight title. So, uh, due to this being, um, and his, uh, injuries right now. So, yeah, we got it. Romero versus Whitaker, man. Uh, how do you feel about this fight? Uh, I mean, this, this is probably the one that, I'm I would be most interested in seeing on this card. Uh, is, these are two guys that, like I said, they, they throw with bad intentions. They yeah. both are scary in the ring. Uh, if if they if they can touch you somewhere along your face area, is a good chance you might go out. Uh, they they both are on tears. Uh, both won their last five fights at least. Uh, you know, and three out of the five for Yoel have been by by knockout and. Same with with uh, Whitaker. Yeah, uh, his, his last two coming out over uh, Susan Brunson, and then uh, you know, Romero uh, uh, knocked out Weidman with his last fight. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing these two guys really get in there and slap some leather with each other. Uh, and we have a 
it's it's an odd fight just because you know Romero is pretty much just an athletic freak. He's forty years old. Yeah, for and, his age, man, I yeah. still just cannot believe that guy's yeah. forty. And you know, yeah. yeah, you got Whitaker. He still has some uh, learning to do, man. He's twenty six, so there's yeah. still a little bit left. So, but yeah, man, yeah. Romero, forty years old, and that guy's putting in work like that. That's mm-hmm. that's amazing, man. So. So, yeah, so, I mean, I, I think this is one of those fights where something is going to have to give, meaning somebody's chin is going to have to give, and uh, we see who who's the top knockout artist for the middleweight division in this fight. Yeah, you know, you basically covered it, man. Uh said everything I was going to say uh, with these two just being explosive. Uh, definitely got to pay attention because any punch these guys throw, uh, somebody could definitely be getting knocked out, so. Uh, I'm assuming this is going to be a knockout, man. I don't think this is going to go to distance. Uh, so who do you got? You going to pull Romero or? I'm going with the young buck. Okay. Okay. I'm going to go Whitaker. Yeah. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's a young guy, but I mean, he, he, I like his style in the ring and, you know, he, he's aggressive. He, he's, he's younger. Uh, I think, uh, I think some of that might play into his advantage. Yeah, man, this is tough for me. Um, I'm going to go with Romero. I do like him, do, but it's like, you know, we were just talking about his age. He's 40 years old, man. At some point, Father Time hasn't catched up to this guy. Hasn't caught up to him yet, but, you know, Whitaker is looking promising. Uh, this is what you said with all he's able to do, and, you know, he could uh, definitely has the hands to compete with Romero, too, but uh I think I'm going to pull Romero, man, on this one. But like you said, man, I would definitely not be surprised if Whitaker ends up pulling this fight off. Uh, both guys yeah. got explosive hands. Anything can happen uh, when he's yeah. in the ring. So. Yeah, same here. I'm I'm, I'm not shocked whoever wins this fight because, you know, they, they both, I mean, if they find an opening, somebody is going to go to sleep. So, yeah. yeah. All right. And last but not least, uh, we have Nunez versus Shevchenko. Uh, this one did go, uh, last time they fought, uh, they did, they did fight to the finish, uh, was a unanimous, unanimous decision for Nunez. Uh, you see this happening again, man? Probably so. Uh, if, if I had to put, put money down, yeah, I, I would lean towards it going the same way. Uh, the only only thing that makes me wonder on this one is it's a five round fight now. Yeah, true. Uh, so and Shevchenko, you know, Nunez, she, she likes to explode. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So I mean, I I think that third round is going to be the deciding factor. Uh, I think Nunez, Nunez can be explosive enough to win the first, probably the second round, but the third round, I think that's where we need to see like. Let's get the champion into that championship round, and and let's let's see what happens, uh, and and see see if she's built for going into deep water like that. Uh, this is this is the fighter that can test her there. Uh, her since since Nunez has been on her tear, this is the one person that she couldn't finish. Yeah, she's taken out pretty much everybody else that's been a, ahead of her. You know, and two by decision or two by choke, two by KO. But uh, Shevchenko is a different type of fighter. She's very good on her feet, and and she's stable on the ground as well. 
I think this is a good matchup, and I think this is that good test to see uh, can can our champ turn it on in, in the championship rounds, or will she start with that gas take start fade? Yeah, uh, you know, you basically covered it again, man. Uh, Nunez. Definitely, uh, Shevchenko, I think she could definitely be the one to challenge her, uh, to see what her condition is made out of for this fight. Uh, cause like I just said earlier, uh, she's going to come out there trying to get this fight over with quick, uh, as soon as possible. So, uh, with that, uh, type of attitude, a lot of people usually, a lot of fighters don't really focus on a conditioning like that if they can knock people out, uh, quick as soon as the fight begins. So it's definitely going to be a battle, uh, for Nunez. If she, Shevchenko can get this uh, beyond the uh, third round. Round, so, but um, I'm still, th- I'm gonna, I'm, I'm still leaning with Nunez. I think she'll find a way to uh, just um, go out there and keep the belt, man. So, yeah, I'm, I'm leaning with her as well. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna go with the champ too, but I think, I think it, it, it could get dicey uh, yeah. once we get to those later rounds. Yep. Feel the same way, man. Uh, now, you have anything else to add for two thirteen? No, like I said, decent sounding card. Uh, it's one that possibly could have been on uh on free TV, but uh, good enough fights to. Yeah. All right, yeah, man. You basically. Uh, said and everything like that uh just doesn't have to do with 213 uh but still uh goes with ufc man uh i think it's time for my man bj to sit his ass down for good man. <laughs> it's, you know it, 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 to, it to me it's been that time but <laughs> it, it's it's looking bad for him man i i just wow yeah, he he looked <laughs> looked terrible in the last fight. Saying, I mean, he he showed his one little spot of the old DJ where he he caught a nice he he landed a nice one two on Dennis Seaver and put him on his butt. But I mean, that was pretty much the only bright spot of his fight. And by the end of it, when he was just limping from taking a bunch of leg kicks, you could just see it's like this is not the BJ that I know. Yeah, and, you know it's. I mean, we we talked about it before. We both read the same article. It's tough seeing fighters like this that were great, yeah, like not knowing to just hang it up and and be done. And you know, I felt like the same thing happened with somebody that was intertwined with BJ a lot. Like I felt that with Matt Hughes. Yeah, uh, I wish I, him a speedy recovery too, man. Uh, yes, yeah. yeah, that's why it was crazy yeah. to read. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, I mean, you, you, you never want to tell somebody to stop doing what they like to do, but yeah. in a, in a sport like this, it's dangerous if you don't know when to, when to exactly. be done. Yeah. You know, get all the time, uh, Parkinson's, excuse me, uh, you know, just all types of stuff we have. When you're taking those punches to the head, knees to the head and getting choked out and stuff, man, it's, it'll wear you down for sure. So. Yeah. And, I, and just to point one last thing out with BJ, why is it still the same issue that he's had since day one? Like, why is yes. he never conditioned enough to finish a fight? Dude, I believe for my heart, man, like, I I may sound, you know, biased with this. Um, 
you know, like he's one of my all time favorite fighters. But to me, man, BJ Penn uh, could have easily went down as one of the greatest fighters in the UFC, man. It's just his conditioning, dude, always just held him back. Like, how can you be a fighter and not, you know, take conditioning seriously, man? It's just. That's that's yeah, just, I'm, that's I'm, the I'm, most frustrating at all. Yeah, that that's just the most frustrating thing could be. I mean, because he he beat Matthews, uh, had a chance. You know, he was doing good against uh, GSP when he was fighting conditioning. Just time and time after again, his conditioning just he just just does not take it seriously, and that's yeah, uh, that's man, it's that, that's just awful. Like it's I'm speechless as a you know. It, there's just nothing to say to that, man. It's just that's just frustrating to watch. Yeah, I don't think that's biased at all. I think most people, I mean that 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 aren't just haters. Yeah, uh, I I think they would agree with you. I mean, BJ was one of the most naturally gifted fighters I've ever seen. Like ridiculous flexibility. He, I think he was the first American to win uh, the. Uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu World Championship. So, I mean, yeah. he was that good on the ground. His hands were very good. He hit like a truck. I mean, he probably hit hard enough to knock out people 40 pounds heavier than him in the UFC, yeah. honestly. And and he was a wizard on the ground. But, yeah, for some reason, I don't know if he just knew he was so good that he just didn't worry about running. Yeah. But <laughs> it's just like, come on, dude. Like, if you could last five rounds, you could beat just about everybody. Yeah, but. like still this day, like one of my you probably might not remember this man, but it was this episode. I believe it was when him and uh Pulver were doing the uh the Ultimate Fighter. Yeah, yeah, and like the, when they do like the little shows and stuff like that. Uh, there was a segment where Dana White was calling uh BJ to like check and see. Let me see what this guy's doing. He might not be taking the stuff seriously. And like BJ, he's all like shopping and doing everything except training. And Dana White's like was just pissed. It's just like, man, this guy's out here fooling around and stuff, not taking this stuff seriously. And, you know, it was just like, man, dude, this guy had all this talent, but just could not just focus on that hard work, doing that dirty work by grinding and out, running, you know, doing all that stuff to get his condition up, man, so he could just last long in those fights if he needed to. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's PJ in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> all the talent in the world, but. Just didn't want to take the, I mean, the easiest thing to to take care of if you're a fighter. Yeah. I mean, that's, Not taking a lot of damage, you know, from yeah. running anything like that and, you know, not getting punched in the face, uh, choked out or nothing, man. Just going out there, a nice little jog and couldn't get it in, man. That was his problem. So. All right, the next thing we're about to start to touch on is basketball. Uh, but, but before we get into the NBA, uh, we decided to start this off with the Big Three. Uh, this was co-founded by one of my favorite rappers of all time, Ice Cube. Uh, kind of had, didn't think uh, it would be uh, that good. Uh, you know, last uh, Monday was just the uh, premiere, so we still got a lot to see. Uh, but overall, when I was watching it, guys, uh, it seemed pretty fun and interesting to watch. Uh, just what were your guys' thoughts on it uh, with the big three debut? Yeah, uh, I, I for one, actually really enjoyed it. I uh, was a little skeptical at first, thinking three-on-three, half-court. You know, what are we really getting ourselves into here other than watching retired guys, you know, battle it out in a half-court setting? But 
you know, I, I thought it was actually very enjoyable. Um, very physical basketball still, which I did not expect. I thought it would just kind of be just let guys get some shots up. Uh, you know, just another chance to see some guys that, you know, still want to be competitive, but don't want to play in the NBA anymore. But, you know, very physical basketball, uh, hard fouls, uh, guys just out there still wanting to compete at a high level without being in the NBA. And I think that's the difference. Um, just that these guys still want to be at a high level. And I thought the big three offered a very high level of basketball. Despite the fact that, you know, there's a four point shot, which is a little quirky. Uh, you know, j- just a couple little nuances that made it different than an actual game. But, uh, at the end of the day, I, I was actually quite surprised by it. Uh, high level of basketball, very competitive. Uh, some really good names to be looking at as well, you know, like Rashad Lewis and, Obviously, AI is a really big one to be looking at. Brian Scalabrini is kind of like the funny name to be looking at. But, uh, yeah, at, at the end of the day, very good basketball. I actually really enjoyed it. I'm going to be tuning in, you know, every chance I get to see it. So, uh, I think they did a very good job of winning people over. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, pretty much like you guys, I came into it a little skeptical. It's like, okay, we're about to see a bunch of guys that are retired coming in here messing around like what are we really going to get here uh are are they really going to take it seriously but you know it these guys are still got a lot of competitive flow to them i mean even even the older players that they had as coaches i mean seeing gary payton walking up and down the sideline yelling at refs about stuff you got players drawing tacticals and stuff like that and 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 you had players going at it. I mean, we had had an injury in each of the first two games, which yeah. you don't don't like to see with uh, Jason Williams and Corey Maggette both going down. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but but uh, I mean, still it was it was something to see that these guys are still going after it and wanting it. Uh, after seeing that first injury, I was a little nervous. Like, okay, so now are these guys gonna like start backing off and it's all jump shots yeah. from now on. But but no, they they kept it going. Uh, it, it was it was it was more like old school basketball. I guess that's what you yeah. would expect with uh, older players that are, that are no longer in the league. But you know, yeah, more physical style of play, more wide open since it was only three on three, uh, and you know. It, it was fun. Yeah. Uh, we, weird seeing the four point shot, uh, takes me back to when I was a little kid watching, uh, I mean, you guys are probably too young to even remember this, but MTV Rock and Jack basketball, when they would have basically like celebrity pro am games, they had crazy spots like that where you could score like 10 points from a spot. So, but it was weird watching that, but you know, it, it did actually bring some excitement, uh, Especially that first game where you know a couple of those got hit to pull the team yeah. teams closer, and and we got I mean I guess what you would call OT since you had to win by two, yeah. uh, but I I feel like Ice Cube has a winner here. Yeah, yeah, you know I I actually think Bibby went like two for three or two for four in that four yeah. point range, if you will. But yeah, I completely agree. I think I think Ice Cube has a pretty big winner here. Uh, I think. Paul Pierce helped this case too. They interviewed Paul Pierce during one of the games 
And he said, you know, maybe I'll get KG and Kobe in on a team. And it's like, <laughs> people, people, I think, are considering this more than ever um, yeah. now that we've seen it. Uh, whether that was just to draw up some publicity or not. Like, even the fact that it's even being mentioned that, you know, Paul Pierce is looking to get into it, it shows that big names want to be a part of this potentially. And and I think for Ice Cube that that's that's a big draw. Like that that's a big win for him. Um and even the names he currently has in it. Like I said, you're looking at AI, Dr. J's a coach. Uh, you're looking at, you know, Rashad Lewis, you know, has only been out of the NBA a small number of years. Uh McGetty's only been out a small number of years. They're getting guys that are actually still in playing condition but not wanting to compete at the NBA level. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that it's it's just, I think this is a little, it, and I want to be careful with how I pick my words here because I still don't think a large number of people have actually seen it yet. But I, I actually think that this has the potential to be bigger sooner than anybody possibly thought, including Ice Cube. Um, now, granted, Ice Cube will come out and say, you, you know, I think it was, you know, a great idea since day one. And, you know, I think he has every right to say that because if it's his idea, it's his idea. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I, I absolutely am just, you know, encaptured by everything that it has to offer, the names, the talent, uh, just the game setting itself. Like, it, it's, it's different enough that you're willing to be, you know, just engulfed by it. And and I think we're, all three of us are at the point where we're, we're like, we want to see what happens next week. You know, you got a team with Kenyon Martin on it. Like, Kenyon Martin was just a guy that was a physical player, and now we're all like, all right, what can you do now? Yeah. I think a lot of it is just we want to see what these guys still have outside of the NBA, knowing that, they still could have possibly played a few more years. So it's like, what do they still have to offer? And we all want to see what that is. Because if you learned anything from that first night, it's that it's very physical basketball. Like, Richard Lewis was interviewed after the first game, and he said he felt the refs needed to call it a little bit closer. And yeah. I've never heard a player say the refs need to call it closer. Yeah. Like, like that, that to me was enough to win me over. That a player said, I want to see a game called a little bit closer. That, that shows to me that it's physical, it's tough, it's, you know, you're out there earning every bucket, and to me, that, that, that's enough for me to keep watching, because in a, in a day and age where we're seeing players cry for fouls, basically, you know, I, I want to see a game where players are getting away with a little bit more, you know, the game's a little more physical, and in this case, it's a three-on-three game, it's quick, it's not, it's not a slow game by any means, and I, I, I feel like you know, I'm a believer in this big three. Like, I, I'm into it. I love it. Um, I, I'm excited for every week at this point. Um, and if anybody says, you know, what'd you think, Ben? I'll, I'll tell them straight up that I love it. I, I'm I'm really into it, and I didn't think I would. Be. So I, I've definitely been turned. I'm, I'm a believer in it. I'll, you know, I'll endorse it to anybody at this point. So, you know, I, I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, if it gets brought back for a few more years. 
as players retire, who gets into it? I think that for me is the most interesting thing at this point. You know, will Paul Pierce actually get a team together and get in it? Like you said, um, you know, I don't know if he'll actually get Kobe, but I think he could get KG on a team. Um, you know, I, I'm just super interested to see where this could lead because I think it's leading to big things. Now, just speaking upon that, uh, you know, just honestly, how do you guys feel just successful uh, that the big three will be? You think, say, five, ten years from now, we'll still be talking about this and see some more teams um, expanded into the league? Just how do you what? How do you guys feel right now? Well, I think uh like to go off of something Ty alluded to. I, I think that comes down to do they keep getting an influx of talent? Because, uh, you know, we we are still talking about people that are retired and no longer playing the game, and we did have some injuries. I mean, we had Mahmoud Abdul-Ralph playing, and he's like damn near 50. He's in amazing shape, but I'm just but he's – He's not young by any means. Like he, he was in his prime when I was like twelve, yeah. and and I'm I'm thirty five. So that's yeah. like they're they're gonna have to keep getting you know recent retirees that are that are also decent names. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying they have to get like LeBron when he retires or something like that, but I mean as long as you can keep getting like decent level players like. Guys that were like for sure like number two, number three options on their teams that had decent names to them. If they can keep getting players like that, and and some of the marquee names as coaches, like you got Dr. J and and Gary Payton shown in in game one. If you can get guys like that coming through, I think it has some legs. But you, you do still have to keep getting that talent. Yeah, yeah. I I'll just kind of piggyback off that, and I completely agree. I don't think you need you know, the all-star names. Um, you know, I, I think at that point you can get a few guys who, like, just had flashes in the league. You know, I think a great name for something like the Big Three would be like a Jeremy Lin, a guy that was an absolute stud for two months. You know, that's all he had really in the NBA. Now he's just a role player. If you can get him in a Big Three and just really build up, you know, that flash in the pan that he had in the NBA, People will look at him and be like, oh, yeah, I remember that. You know, he was really good at that time. And, you know, someone like that could show in a in a 3v3 type of a setting, you know, a game where, you know, if you're one of six guys on the floor, you have a story. Like, there's something to be said about you out there. Um, and I think that alludes perfectly to what Darnell was saying about you don't need the, the, the absolute star athletes. You don't need the LeBrons. You don't need the... Russell Westbrook's, the Kevin Durant's, the Steph Curry's. But if you can get guys out there that people go, yeah, I remember him. I think that's enough to get them to be looking. Um, and at a point where it's still very early and even throughout the entire first year, even the second year, if you can get people with names that people go, I remember who that was. I remember he had this moment or he had, you know, this you know, stretch of his career. I think that's enough to get people to look. So um, I, I I completely agree. I think this can gain a lot of traction. I think they can get a lot of guys that weren't necessarily studs, but had moments that were that were really captivating. Uh, as long as they can continue to get 
you know, names, they'll be okay. And, and I think Ice Cube will be good enough to do that. All right, guys. Now, any other uh, thoughts or comments for the big three? I hope it keeps up. <laughs> I hope it keeps up. Yeah, yeah. like uh, you guys just touched on, you know, can they keep uh, bringing in guys that still would like to compete and uh, play the game? Uh, it's pretty good known. Uh, made a pretty good name for themselves in the NBA. If they could keep that. Uh, I really think that's the key thing for them. Uh, I really think this league could be uh, uh, successful if they could continue to do that uh, throughout the years. So, All yeah, right. and and, and oh, I okay. r- real quick just before we go on, you know, I don't know that this is something you guys are uh, too aware of, but for for a for a big stretch of time, uh, golf had this series, and I don't even really know what it was called because it was still a little bit before before my time, but they would have guys like Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer go out and just play these exhibition tournaments where they would play for charity or something like that. The thing is, they'd get thousands of people to show up to watch them play, even though they were well off the PGA Tour. They These guys were in their 70s, you know, those late 60s, and early 70s, playing in these events where they get thousands of people to show up and in reality, go nuts over these guys. Like, just because they had fantastic careers and they were, you know, staples in the sport. So I think the big three has potential to get, like I said, just the really big names and get people to show up and really buy in, buy into what the big three is because they're getting staples in the NBA. Uh, I, and I guess I bring that comparison up because I don't want people to think that the big three is only bringing in guys that are washed up. Like they're, they're bringing in some solid guys who had solid NBA careers and still have some in the tank. So like if, if you think this is just a bunch of retired guys who have nothing left, you're, you're pretty wrong. Um, other sports have shown they can bring in guys who are retired and, and still, you know, bring in crowds. And, and the big, if you, if you saw the big three on the opening night, uh, I believe they were in Brooklyn in the Barclays Center. The Barclays Center looked fairly, fairly packed for the sections that they had, you know, on TV. It looked like they brought in a pretty decent crowd. So I, I think that, you know, I think the sky's the limit for this thing. Uh, like I said, I'm a believer in it now. I, I'm into it. I like it. And I just hope the best for it. All right, uh, anything out of that, Darnell? No. Okay. All right, now next we're about to get right into the NBA uh, before we get into the draft. Uh, thoughts on the draft and, you know, Chris Paul, a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, first, we're about to start off with the Chicago Bulls and the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, they made a pretty shocking trade to me. Uh, Jimmy Butler and the Chicago Bulls traded Jimmy Butler and their 16th overall pick for, uh, was it, it was for Zach Levine, Chris Dunn, and their number seven overall pick. Uh, just what were you guys' thoughts on this when, um, this happened? I, I think it was pretty, pretty surprising. Just real quick, uh, uh yeah. The Bulls, uh, they ended up drafting, uh, Markinen. Yep. And, uh, Markinen. and, uh, the, let's see. Yeah. 
the Timberwolves, they got... Why is it not showing? Here, I'll go ahead and, uh... Well, yeah, go ahead. Give my opinion. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'll go ahead and do that while you look that up. Uh, honestly, I do think it was a little surprising. We all knew uh, Jimmy Justin Butler. Patton. Who, who was that? Uh, Justin Patton, uh, from Creighton. Okay. Okay. Yeah, uh, big guy. Was he a center? Uh, yep. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I thought so. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, it caught a lot of people off guard. Uh, and the reason I think I choose to use the words off guard is because we all knew Jimmy Butler was on the market. Uh, it seemed like Cleveland was the landing place for him for a while, then Boston was the landing place for him. I don't think anybody would have picked him to go to Minnesota. Uh, and I think that's why it was a surprising move. I don't think it was a surprising move that Jimmy Butler got dealt. Um, I personally like the move for Minnesota because Minnesota was just a bunch of young guys. A bunch of young guys that really didn't seem to have a leader. Uh, you know, they, they didn't really seem to have a ton of experience on their roster. They just seemed to have had a bunch of draft picks and they drafted a bunch of young guys and all they have is a ton of talent and no direction. Um, I, that's why I really like them getting Jimmy Butler. You know, it gives Carl Anthony Towns someone super solid to play with. Um, Carl Anthony Towns, I think everybody believes has a world of talent. Uh, just unfortunately, he's just in an odd situation with the team where they're not making the playoffs. They don't get a ton of TV time, but getting Jimmy Butler, that gives them, you know, a ton of TV time moving forward. It gives Carl uh, Anthony Towns somebody super solid to play with, somebody to give him the ball, somebody to play defense with him. And Jimmy Butler's going to, I think, turn that team to a playoff team, no problem. Um, playoff team last year, I think at worst they're an eight seed. Um, I, I think Jimmy Butler just gives that team solid offense, solid defense. Granted, Zach Levine was a good player, but Zach Levine's also coming off an injury, a pretty significant injury, too. So they didn't necessarily know what they'd be able to get out of Zach Levine next year. So by not knowing what you're getting out of Zach Levine next year, dealing him, I don't have much of a problem. But he, he has a lot of promise, too, and I think the Bulls see that. So I don't think they had a big problem getting Zach Levine back, knowing they may not get Jimmy Butler back when his contract runs up. So uh, at this point, the Bulls were looking at a lot of youth in their hand. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, in an already weak Eastern Conference, uh, you know, for all we know, Laurie Marketing can turn into, you know, the next Christoph Porzingis, be a really solid player, and they can still be an eight seed. So uh, I, I think the Bulls are looking more future oriented here, while the Timberwolves are looking along the lines of we want to win now. And I don't have a problem with the trade for either side. Uh, like I said, Jimmy Butler's name's been in the market for a long time now. Uh, well, what feels like a long time. And uh, both sides made a deal that they felt was good for them. So uh, I'm okay with the trade for both sides. Uh, it'll be odds in Jimmy Butler in a new place, but uh, I'm okay with the trade. For sure. I'm okay with the idea of the trade. Like, Chicago, they didn't want to have to sign Jimmy Butler in one of those Supermax type deals, so the only way to get out of that is to get rid of him, so I understand that they were trying to move him, and in Chicago they they weren't, they're not one of the 
with Jimmy Butler, they weren't one of the teams that were slated to make any kind of push for the title. They were just going to be middling, staying in that seven to eight spot in the playoff range, which usually means you're just destined to always be there. You basically have to, how, how sports go, you basically have to be terrible to get good. Uh, they started making the, their moves to do that, started breaking the team. But there's one thing with that trade where I just didn't get, which was why Chicago throw in their traffic. You're giving up the better player, the far better player. You're taking risk on you take Chris Dunn, who really didn't have a good rookie year. Uh, you get Zach Levine, who, like Todd said, is coming off an ACL injury, so you're kind of not sure what you're going to get there. So when you when you have the most valuable piece that you're giving up, I don't see why they why you can say, look, we're giving you the best player we're keeping the traffic, and you use that to keep getting younger. Uh, just that part, uh, I'm a little weirded out by uh, and, and like I said, they they have a lot of uncertainty with what they got, with what Chicago got in the trade, and they, they still have to figure out what they're going to do with the Wayne Wade who opted in, and they're going to owe 20, $24, 25000000 million. So, uh, not a bad idea to move Jimmy Butler. I just think Chicago could have done a lot better in doing so. I, I just feel like they they gave up too much uh, and already given up the best player out of the whole deal. Yeah, uh, I don't disagree with you that I feel like they gave up a lot um, because I feel like they could have given up Zach Levine, Chris Dunn. I, I, to a point, I feel like that could have been enough to get Jimmy Butler. But once again, I, I think that that injury to Zach Levine was just a little too much to sell anybody. If Zach Levine was completely healthy, I think that could have been enough. Um, well, no, but didn't didn't Chicago move their pick? They they basically switched picks. Yeah, I'm not saying I don't I don't get why Chicago. Oh. Having, like, I would have still taken Minnesota's traffic. I would have said, yeah. You get Jimmy Butler, you give me the players, oh, so you give so me your pick. And that's so you're, you're saying, not, not keep, giving my pick. Yeah. So you're saying, keep the later pick in the first round. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I, I don't, I don't disagree with you there. Okay. Yeah. I, I feel you. I follow that. Um, yeah. And going along those lines. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I don't under, I don't necessarily understand what you would say. I'm going to give you our best player and then give you our pick as well, um, because you're you're looking at what well, we all agree a top ten player, uh, possibly a top three two way player. I mean, I, I I don't think you're far off in saying any of that, Darnell. I, I don't. I really don't. Um, and, and I guess the reason I'm okay with that with the whole deal and the reason I said I'm okay with the whole deal is because I look at Chicago team knowing they're not gonna get Jimmy Butler back and doing what it takes to get the most for him. Uh which included getting that top ten pick. And then I look at the Timberwolves saying we'll give up that top ten pick in order to secure Jimmy Butler. Um, and 
I, I guess if, if they're giving up that later first round pick as well, we're looking at the Wolves winning the trade. Yeah. You know, and, uh, I, I think we all can agree that we actually like that Timberwolves roster. Like, it's tough to not like that Timberwolves roster. Uh, I, I think that Timberwolves roster, to a point, underperforms. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm I'm sold on Carl Anthony Towns. I absolutely love what he has to offer. I love his skill. Um, it, it it just seemed like they were always missing one piece, and I think Jimmy Butler is the piece they needed, and they were willing to give up whatever it took to get him. And at the end of the day, yeah, it would have been nice for the Bulls to have kept that late round pick as well, but. You know, it, it, it turns into you don't want real bad blood in the league. Um, it could make for interesting rivalry, but it's not like those two teams are going to see each other in the playoffs anytime soon. So, um, like I said, I'm okay with it all. Um, it, it made the deal a little bit sweeter for, for the Bulls. Um, you know, to be, or for the, uh, for the Timberwolves. Um, I don't necessarily know that the Timberwolves wanted to give up Zach Levine that bad. Um, but hey, for Jimmy Butler, I would have given up what it took too. So, you know, they, they gave up that late first round pick. Uh, or, no, they got that late first round pick. Uh, they gave up that early first round pick. The Bulls gave up the late first round pick. But the thing is, is if you, I, I think the Bulls are very serious about maybe doing a rework. You know, they, they got rid of Derrick Rose, which I think they really wanted to do the previous year. They got rid of Joe Kim Noah, which I think they really wanted to do as well. So I think they're really looking to start fresh, start with a young team. Uh, if, if a few of those players really develop into what they think they can, you know, they're going to be looking at, you know, Chris Dunn at the point, they're looking at uh, Zach Levine at the two, Denzel Valentine at the three, now Lori Markinen probably at the four, Robin Lopez at the five. That's a young roster. It's a very young roster. And, you know, I think they're willing to see what that can develop into, and, and I don't have a problem with that at all. All right, up next, we're about to get into Phil Jackson. Uh, what are you guys' thoughts on him leaving the Knicks? Well, him, pardon me, yeah, Knicks are getting rid of him. Uh, it's necessary. <laughs> uh, it's just, they, they finally did what they had to do. I mean, Phil Jackson had, I mean, not that the Knicks have been a really good franchise basically since Ewing left, uh, but, he, I mean, he was tearing the place apart. I mean, I, I've, I've called him for weeks now a dumpster fire, but, uh, you know, he, he's dragged Mello through the media, got Porzingis to the point where he didn't show up to an exit meeting. And for that, he retaliates by saying that they're looking at possibly trading him. So it's like, okay, like something has to stop here. And, Finally, it looks like the Knicks as an organization finally got together and said, okay, Phil, it's been nice or not, but you got to go. Yeah. yeah, when 
when the future of the franchise is very unhappy with the way things are going, it might be time to do something. And honestly, it does seem like it's a couple weeks too late. I mean, the draft has already happened. Uh, so who knows what kind of a safe Phil Jackson had in the draft. Uh, that I don't think will ever be fully discussed. Uh, so we'll never really know. But like, like Darnell said, we've been saying it for weeks. It's a problem. It's a real problem. And the fact that Porzingis was very unhappy. I almost think meant it, meant that it went too far. Yeah. Um, it, it shouldn't be to a point where your star players are very unhappy with the situation of the franchise. Um, especially in a day and age where players are just up and leaving for basically the quote-unquote super teams. Uh, I don't know. I, you should never want your star player to be unhappy to the point that they're willing to leave. Um, especially a guy that's only just completed his second year in the league. Yeah. Um, it, it, it was, it was just sad from the start. Everybody saw it coming. Um, a lot of analysts and talk shows are really wondering what happened because they highly doubt that it was mutual. Um, and I don't, I don't necessarily know that I'd be far offline with that thinking. I think they got to the point where it was mutual. I don't necessarily think that it was mutual. It's just the fact that they still owe Phil Jackson a lot of money, and he's willing to leave knowing that he's going to still get that much. So, uh, it, 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 it took too long for it to happen. It wasn't a great fit from the start, and I don't know, just the idea that Phil Jackson even let a franchise get to this position is still just a little bit mind-boggling. You know, we all thought he's a great NBA mind, and for him to be this poor of a general manager is just a little, a little upsetting. Well, I mean, we we got to be real about it, though. He was a poor general manager because he didn't want to put the work in. No, it's true. It's true. It's all on him. It's on yeah. him. He he still wanted to pretty much live in L.A. the whole time, so he was yeah. never in New York. I mean, we had yeah. news just of, like, rumblings of a top 15 pick, basically, told a reporter for ESPN that Bill fell asleep during his workout. Yeah. Wow. So, it's like, yeah. do you, he, he was clearly saying, I I don't care about this job. I don't want this job. I'm willing. Yeah. I'm willing to drag our our star player that is an older player. I'm willing to go off on our young player that has that is our future that has voiced his opinion on how things are being run. Like I feel like Phil finally got what he wanted. He he was not going to quit because that meant leaving a bunch of money on the table. He got the Knicks to fire him, so he's happy. He gets paid for the next however long, and he makes a lot of money to go back and do basically what he was doing, chill out in L.A. Yeah. Now, guys, now how does this move affect uh, Mello? Because uh, we've been hearing some rumors about him uh, possibly wanting to uh, leave the Knicks. Uh, no, before they, we started, Ty, you was telling me uh, he was willing to accept a, buy, a buyout to go to the Cavs. So... Mm-hmm. What do you think is going to go on with Mello, uh, just based on Phil leaving now? I, I, I think he was, 
gone from the start. Uh, I mean, I think we all knew he wasn't exactly happy in New York. Um, I do think he wanted to be in New York, but the direction that that franchise has taken, I think, has kind of driven him away. I think it's more who can offer him the money that he would like to get, or at least get close to, um, and who can give him the best position. Um, I mean, we're looking basically now at Carmelo Anthony being the best player. And I guess that's a very relative term, but Carmelo being the best player from that time to not have a rank. I mean, Dwayne Wade has one, LeBron has one, Kevin Durant, who was drafted not too, too far after, has one. Darko uh, has one. Yeah, Darko <laughs> has one. You're absolutely, you are absolutely right. Darko has one. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, go Pistons. Uh, you know, get to work. Uh, anyway, but uh, yeah, the fact that Darko has one and Melo doesn't, I mean, Melo, I think Melo's the point where he's looking. He's starting to look for that ring. Um, and since the Warriors can't take him, what's your best chance to get to the finals? Said he'll take a buyout in order to join the Cavs. Uh, so I think we'll we'll wait and see what happens with Carmelo. But I think he was he was going on from the start. Surprise anybody? Yeah, I, even even with Phil now being gone. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if there's still some bad blood just with Melo and the organization as a whole because pretty much nobody had his back during this whole drama with Phil. Uh, ownership just kept their mouth shut and let Phil say what he wanted to say about <coughs> Melo and saying how he needed to go. He's a ball stopper. He is this, he's that. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if he's still willing to go wherever else. Uh, Depending like who the team is, does he waive his no trade clause or does he accept the buyout? Uh, I'm not sure how easy it'll be to get a buyout worked out because I mean he's owed a lot of money and you know I- I'm not sure how much less he's willing to take. Uh, you know how many pennies on the dollar is he willing to take here for this buyout? Uh, I-, I assume he wants to walk out with a good majority of it, what he's owed. Uh, especially for what he had to deal with for these last uh, two, three years with Phil Jackson running the show. So it, it might come down to them finding a, a reasonable trade landing spot, but, I mean, that's still hard, too, because uh, outside of just not really being from the area, but uh, Mello, he he doesn't want to be away from his his family, uh, mainly speaking as, as his son. Uh, that's his big deal for why he basically has not wanted to be traded and stick with the Knicks. Uh, and that makes that a bigger priority now since, you know, he's had his marital issues now. Yeah. All right, guys. Now, anything else to add from Mello? Nope. No. Well, I, I guess just super fast. Like, it kind of seems like Carmelo Anthony's been the odd one out in that draft class ever since he kind of left Denver. But yeah, for the sake of Carmelo Anthony, I hope he wins at least one ring and people can stop on Carmelo. I feel like he's kind of gotten a bad rap, especially 
this late with a dysfunctional franchise. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely agree with that. <clears throat> All right, guys. Now we're about to get into CP3 uh, with him going to Houston. <clears throat> uh, how do you guys just feel about this move? Uh, you know, I'll just start on this one. For me, uh, I was very shocked with this one. Um, just with Houston out of all the places. Um, if you look at Houston uh, last year, what they were able to accomplish. <coughs> excuse me. Uh, backcourt was not really one of their big problems. Uh, they had James Harden, who they moved at the point. Uh, had one of the best possible seasons uh, you could have uh, <coughs> for NBA player. Um, you also had... Patrick Beverly, uh, he's moved to the shooting guard position. He also played outstanding. And then for their backups, you had a guy that was previously a six-man of the year in Lou Williams, and you had the guy that just won a six-man of the year with Eric Gordon uh, coming off the bench as well. So I was like, okay, why would they do this out of all the places? Like, they, their backcourt is pretty much set. And for them to add Chris Paul, uh, he demands the ball a lot, and then – uh, James Harden, uh, he demanded the ball a lot last year uh, with this Houston Rockets team. So that was just very shocking uh, for me uh, just to see that. And uh, just another thing, like, uh, for that, like, uh, out of all the <clears throat> teams to play for in uh, Texas, like, I thought, you know, San Antonio would have been the sh- sure shot for Chris Paul because uh, possibly, you know, with him going to San Antonio, he can get that money. But also there's been rumors uh, going on with uh, – LaMarcus Aldridge with him not being that very happy uh, with the Spurs. So possibly could have set up a trade to see if they could have, you know, gotten his uh, buddy over in uh, the Clippers, Blake Griffin, to come along with him there too and then possibly get uh, Aldridge out there because rumors that he wasn't comfortable, uh, wasn't happy with the Spurs um, either. But just to go back to the Houston, man, I was just very shocked with that. I did not really see a need for them to focus on getting a – uh, another like premier point guard like Chris Paul uh, to come to that team uh, with just how successful that backcourt was. <clears throat> but what yeah, are you guys thoughts? Uh, yeah, I, I think along the same lines as you guys. So, uh, yeah. Granted, they got rid of Beverly, point yeah. guard. They got little. Beverly, got yeah. Of, Beverly and Lou, yep. yep. Yeah, uh, so and they also the got rid of Lou. Yeah. More, more of a two guard, but still a guard. Uh, so, I, I I look at the whole situation of the Western Conference trying to keep up with Golden State. So, when trying to keep up with Golden State, what are you going to do? You're going to try to get star power. You're going to try and get, you know, this star studded lineup, you know, full of the best talent, not necessarily the best chemistry, uh, which I think makes Golden State the anomaly because they have the chemistry while having the best talent. And I think that's just such a hard formula to match up that Golden State found a way to do it so perfectly. I don't know that that could be matched. I think it's very tough to be matched. So I, I, I'm still in line with you, Trey, you know, the idea that, you know, we just watched James Harden thrive at the point guard position. Yeah. He had the best year of his career. Uh, he averaged the most assists he'd ever average. He averaged a lot of points, uh, you know, rebounds, triple doubles. We watched him have a phenomenal year. Yeah. And then to go out and trade for a point guard seems to be very odd. 
Like, yeah. to me, it didn't necessarily sit right. I understand why they made the move. Don't misunderstand me. But I, I just felt the move, the move was very odd because I don't know why you'd want to get somebody who plays the same position that you just had James Harden have a career year at. Yeah. Um, so I think there's, you know, there's a side of it that we're not necessarily seeing. Um, you know, that's why those guys are the masterminds or the position we're at. <laughs> so, um, I think there's more than meets the eye here. Um, but I will say in terms of the Clippers, I think they're winners in this situation. They got something for Chris Paul when he had opted out. They're in a free agency potential at first. So nothing was going to happen until then anyway. So they figured, let's go ahead and move him since it looks like he'll be moving anyway. So they moved him. They got something in return. They got a, you know, they got a really nice, uh, six man Lou Williams who could even start. Yeah. Uh, Sam Decker, the nice piece look for the future. And, um, uh, Patrick Beverly's a guy you could put it, you know, at the point guard position as well. And, uh, you know, he could, he could give you some real solid minutes. Uh, needs work since, needs to work exploring the ball. I mean, you know, he could definitely give you some minutes at the point guard position. But, you know, for the Clippers to be able to move Chris Paul right after he opted out of his contract, or is going to be opting out as of July 1st, I think it's very smart for them to go ahead and trade. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna piggyback on a little bit of what Ty said, but give a little caveat to it. Uh I definitely think it's teams trying to keep up with Golden State. Uh yes, it's getting a big name like Chris Paul, but the NBA as a whole is kinda going into this stage of base basically positionless basketball. Like not more so. Are you a, are you a point guard? Are you a shooting guard? Are you a small forward, power forward, center? Are you are you a wing player? Are you an inside guy? Are you a ball handler? Can you shoot? That's basically what the NBA is kind of turning into, and the free flowing offense that Houston runs, uh, they they run a, a fast paced, high scoring offense. Not predicated on defense, no running joke there with uh, Mike D'Antoni's teams, but uh, but if they can get two players that can keep the ball moving, moving and create a lot of open shots and a lot of easy shots to keep point totals up, I think this is their way that they want to try to see if they can make that move to catch up to Golden State, be that team to possibly dethrone them. I'm not sure if it's enough because they, they did have to give up some decent pieces to get uh, CP3. Uh, but I, I do think they're just looking at it more from more as a fact of this has given us another elite ball handler that will find open men to get that dunk or get that open three uh, to try to match up with that team in California that does the same thing. Ball movement is key. The shots will come from that. Uh, I think that's what Houston is looking at. Uh, from the Clippers side of it, news is starting to come out that basically Chris Paul was not happy with the Clippers organization. Uh, he he had lost respect for Doc Rivers. Uh, yeah, I guess the way with his uh, treatment of his son, right? Yeah, Austin yeah. Rivers. Like I guess there was a a solid trade on the that was offered. Uh, sometime last year 
that would have meant sending Austin out. Trade was uh, nixed by Doc, who is the president and uh, coach of the team, and I guess <clears throat> it's downhill from there. So I think the Clippers knew uh, it was probably time for them to part ways because Chris Paul was going to be owed a lot of money if he came back to the Clippers. Uh but they got him to opt back in uh, to make this trade happen. So Houston will have his bird rights. So he will still be eligible for one of these ridiculous $200 million extensions uh, come next season. So it was kind of a win-win for both sides. Uh, Trey, I I know he was looking at uh, the Spurs. I'm just not sure how that would have worked out because they weren't going to pay him what he'd be worth on the open market. And and really looking at Aldridge's postseason, I'm not sure of how how great his trade value is right now. So yeah. mm-hmm. I think I think the uh, Clippers went with what they could get that was a reasonable deal for them to move Chris Paul, and and they got they got enough pieces that is is close to equal value as you're going to get for a player like that. You got Beverly, who is a a really good defensive guard, uh, but also can get some points for you. You got Lou Williams, who's instant offense, and then you got Decker, who who's who's going to grow in to be a decent piece uh, yeah. for them. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, piggybacking off of that, Darnell, um, we're also looking at Chris Paul as a player who could potentially retire during his next contract. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't necessarily think that's an impossible feat here. Uh, we're looking at a guy who is clearly on the second half of his career. A guy that, if an injury happens, couldn't hang it up. If he wins a championship, could decide he wants to hang it up. Uh, a lot of interesting things can happen with Chris Paul here. So, for the Spurs won't pay him, can't say I blame him. For the Clippers to say they will pay him, can't necessarily blame them. Uh, but I also can't blame a team that seems to be on the cusp of making it to a conference finals to pay him. Can't blame them. It's one of those situations where it's, what does your team need? Does your team need a future, or does your team need to win right now? Um, with Blake Griffin also being in a contract here, the Clippers aren't necessarily built to win right now because it seems like you need to pay one or the other. You can't pay both. With the Rockets having James Harden under contract, they can afford to pay Chris Paul instead of having to rework a deal for James Harden and pay Chris Paul. Um, They're in more of a position to win right now. They have more of a roster to win right now. And I don't blame them for willing to deal the, you know, make the trade, deal the money, and start paying Chris Paul. And like, I think we all agree. This could potentially move them to the third team of the West. Um, possibly the second, depending what happens with them the Spurs. Uh, it'll be a race for second at that point. So, you know, Chris Paul's not necessarily a must-pay player at this point. I think it all just depends on what your team needs, right? And with the Rockets needing, or in more of a position to win now, I, don't, I have no problem with them making the deal. With the team like the Spurs, who were already the two seed, they don't they don't need Chris Paul. Would have been a nice, you know, addition, but they don't need Chris Paul. And the Clippers, they let's be real, they weren't much with Chris Paul. So 
I'm cool with them moving on as well. Yeah. It's it just what, what do teams need right now? And I think teams are starting to realize that. All right, guys. Uh, we haven't seen them, uh, actually play the game yet, but, uh, just looking at it, man, CP3 and James Harden, is this the best backcourt in the NBA, just name wise? Name wise, yeah. yes. Talent wise, no. How you yeah, feel? Pretty much, pretty much, uh, Lon. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to call somebody the best backcourt in the league that's never played a game together. Uh, I got to see how they mesh. Uh, on paper, it's, it's scary to see that yeah. you might be playing a team with, with those two there. Uh, but I mean, got a pretty nasty backcourt, uh, that just won a title. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think you, I think you have to give them their props. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely can agree with that. All right, guys. Uh, well, anything else for the uh, CP3 CP3 trade? No. No. All right. Uh, I was just about to get into the NBA draft. Uh, just what were your thoughts on the draft? It was a fun draft. I think we all can agree that it was a pretty fun draft. Yeah. Uh, we already touched on the deal with the uh, T-Wolves and and the Bulls, that kind of added some excitement to the top ten. Yeah. The pre-draft excitement of the uh, Sixers and the Celtics. You know, just, just some some small stuff happened there. Uh, you know, nothing like big players were being dealt with that trade of the first pick. But um, Jimmy Butler being moved is kind of a draft night surprise. I think we were all caught a little off guard by it, uh, especially to the fact that it was to the Timberwolves. But other than that, you know, I think it was a very fun draft. We got a lot of what we expected. Um, you move outside the top ten, we're looking at, you know, some interesting players being drafted. Um, you know, a couple of players going a little earlier than I thought, a couple of players going a little later than I thought. But overall, good draft night. I enjoyed it. Uh, I always like any kind of a draft. I even watched the NHL draft a few nights ago. You know, I just can't get enough of drafting, period. Uh, it's always fun. It's always interesting to hear analysis, hear comparison in players, and things like that. But overall, good draft mode. Yeah, yeah I agree. Uh, one of the more fun draft nights I can remember in a long time with the NBA. Uh, you had some trades happen and some surprising picks with, with others. Uh, so yeah, uh, overall, I, I I enjoyed it. Now, uh, who are some draft winners uh, for you guys? Like the teams that you think had a good draft? Are we going teams or just winners in general? Uh well, whatever you could do both. Uh, whichever one you feel, man. Oh, um, I I guess I'll start with a team. Uh, a team that even in the last show I claimed always blows it. Uh, the Sacramento Kings. Uh, I thought, I thought they drafted very well. Uh, you know, they got, you know, some players that I, I actually really liked. Uh, Justin Jackson being one of them. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll boo in a minute. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they got him. Uh, what was it? De'Aaron Fox. And Harry, Harry Giles. Yeah, Harry Giles. So, uh, you know, they got some 
very promising talent in the draft. Uh, I like all three of those players for different reasons. Uh, they got all those players in the first round, I believe. Um, and then they drafted Frank Mason, the consensus player of the year, in the second round. So, you know, they shaped up for a pretty nice draft. How many of those players will actually work out? That's still to be told. But in terms of name, in terms of stardom in college basketball, they were probably one of the bigger winners of the draft for sure. Uh, and then one more winner I have, maybe you guys aren't necessarily thinking it, but LeVar Ball had to be a winner. <laughs> saying lots of going to the lake. Seriously, I, you know, I do say it partially joking, but in all seriousness, he was saying this Lonzo Lakers good. thing. Yeah, he was saying it for months. And if it didn't happen, can you imagine what would be happening to LeVar Ball right now? Like, what would have happened draft night and ever since? Like, him going to the Lakers saved his behind. Uh, and it worked out. You know, honestly, I think it was a good pick by the Lakers. Uh, I think that Lonzo's going to have a good rookie season. I really do. I'm a believer in Lonzo Ball. But the fact that it all kind of worked out to a T just made LeVar look less like an idiot. So, yeah, I, I'll, I'll have to say he's a winner. Yeah, I mean, he's... He, he marketed his son to the NFL, NBA in the way he wanted. He, he got what he wanted to happen. Yeah. His son is staying close to home just like he's been since, since birth. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, then, you know, he had his, he had his Lakers colors, triple B hat. <laughs> yeah. and waiting and <laughs> made, you know, made since Lonzo yeah. was a baby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So he got to show out and, and do everything. Yeah, he, it was definitely a good night for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, going with back to the team, though, I agree. I, I like Sacramento's draft a lot. Uh, but I guess I'll also have to go with, I mean, I guess a team that should have drafted well since they had the number one pick again. That's, uh, Philly, uh, yeah. getting folds, uh, and, and they got five players overall. Yeah, you know, in the, in two rounds. So, I I, I guess I look at it kind of like an NFL draft. There, when you get that many players, like you would hope one or two of them you can you can yeah. find something in. And then I also I, I like Phoenix's draft too. They got uh, I think the player with possibly the most upside in this draft and Josh Josh Jackson. Uh, he slipped to him at four, uh, and. I think they will be fun to watch uh, with him on the court with them. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, any losers in particular for you guys? Uh, well, I mean, I, I I leaned a little towards it when we when we spoke about them earlier. Uh, Chicago got a good player in in marketing. I think that was a good player, but I, I don't understand how they sold their second round pick to Golden State. Well, why they sold their second round pick to Golden State, uh, especially when you're trying to do a rebuild and get young. And Golden State actually got a solid player out of it in Jordan Bell. I don't, 
Oregon. They 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 got somebody else is going to be a very good defender for them that fits what they do. Uh, so I I kind of feel like Chicago almost got swindled twice, and yeah. <laughs> so that 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 puts them a little bit on the losing side with me. Uh, but yeah, so I. I I know some people still, I mean, like I said, the pick that they did make was solid, so I'm, I'm not going to totally kill them on that, but they could have came away better on the trade that they did make, and why do you give away your second-round pick when you're trying to rebuild? For for cash considerations, not a player. They just yeah. took money. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, yep, up on the line right there, Chicago, really, for the NFL and NBA, make <laughs> <laughs> big losers might, might be a long fall in winter for uh chicago but uh yeah moving on from them uh, honestly i didn't see too many like obvious losers uh time may have to tell on this one nobody really seemed to really draft super <laughs> poor uh, to be fair, to be fair to teams, yeah. uh, you know, I didn't walk away from that draft going, man, they really messed up. Um, you know, so I, I think time will tell. Uh, I guess with a little time since the draft, uh, the Knicks, because both well, the draft, Nikita, Nikita, uh, Guard out of France, uh, he already heard <laughs> like first week of practice. So, I mean, you could argue the Knicks are losing with that whole Phil Jackson saga going down, but, uh, I, I don't, I don't take anybody as a very serious loser from the draft, uh, really outside of the Bulls since they lost their, their best player, uh, for a rebuild, so. Uh, yeah, uh, don't see too many losers, to be quite honest, but, uh, I, I think time will tell. We'll see who turned out to be a bust and all that during the season, and then we'll call losers from the draft. But, uh, yeah, as of right now, I don't see too many, too many losers. All right. Now, about to close this thing off with them Detroit Pistons. Uh, they got your guy, Luke Kennard, huh? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, hey, just, I, I said I would do it. Yeah, I just, said I would do it. I tweet, I tweeted it too. Yeah, I tweeted it too. You did. What did uh, you guys think of it? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I guess I'll start it off. But you know, at the time of the pick, I wasn't a huge fan. Uh, I mean, let's be real. Drafting a one-way player who has a ton to prove. That kind of is a niche player. You're looking at a guy that can shoot the ball really well, was able to create his own shot in college, was able to get to the rim in college, but I, I just don't think that'll translate too well into the NBA. We're looking at a guy that's going to be competing for minutes with our best off, with our best three point shooter and our best defender. So if the Pistons aren't going to be taking Contavious Caldwell Pope off the floor, when are you looking for minutes for Luke Kennard, uh, who will be playing the same position? Um, I mean, obviously, KCP has to get a rest, but what are you looking at? Resting 12 to 
15 minutes a game. Catavius uh, Caldwell Pope has to play as close to 40 minutes as he can for the Pistons to be successful. Like, let's just be real on that point, for starters. So that just doesn't leave too much room for Luke Kennard. Um, you know, granted, KCP, free agent, anything can happen. Let, let's be real. Uh, but, I don't know. I just don't see, I just don't see a ton of upside for Kennard unless he develops really fast. Um, I would have rather seen them take a more solidified player, a player that was more well-rounded, can play both ends of the floor. Uh, I just feel like Luke Kennard has a lot of I just don't think he's as polished. You know, granted, SVG talks very, uh, Stan Van Gundy talks very highly of him as a scorer. And I understand the Pistons need a better three-point shoot. They need somebody that can score the ball. Um, but, you know, I just didn't really think that was the kind of a player the Pistons needed. I think they needed a more well-rounded player, a player that was willing to get in and play defense. And like Darnell and I thought, we, I thought that would be Justin Jackson, but obviously they saw a different path. Uh, but as time went on, I kind of look at the pick and I say, well, the Pistons really did need a score. They did need a better three-point shooter. Uh, it's just going to be the fact of whether Luke Kennard can get his shots off. Can he create his own shot? Um, is he going to see enough of the floor to even get shots? Um, I think there's just still a lot of questions that need to be answered. Um, I'm I hope I'm proven wrong. I hope Luke Kennard has a great rookie season. I hope Luke Kennard, Luke Kennard can score, you know, 12 points a game of four threes a game. Uh, that that can be the difference in the league. So I hope the pick works out. I really do. I, I never hope poor on somebody. Uh, I didn't think it was the pick at the time. Over time, you know, I kind of grew into it. I figured out right, maybe it's what we really needed. Uh, I I just feel like he has to prove something to me before I'm really okay with it. I was gonna say it sounds like you kind of fan talked yourself into this pick now. Well, yeah. <laughs> to, to, to be fair, to be fair, uh, and I guess to be fair to Luke Kennard, uh, the guy showed he could score the ball in college, which I don't think anybody argued. Uh, anybody who saw Duke play knew Luke Kennard is a score and a natural score and finds ways to score. For me, I think it's just the fact that how does that translate? You know, you look at someone like Jimmer Fredette to score at Will in college and dude's, I think, playing in Shanghai. Like, <laughs> that's not very comforting for me. It takes a special kind of player to make it in the NBA. I just don't, I just don't necessarily know the Luke Kennard's in. But, you know, with looking at what the Pistons needed, they needed to to improve the three-point shooting, and I guess Luke Kennard was the best option for that. So I don't necessarily know that, you know, with what we needed, that that, that it's an awful pick. It just wouldn't have been my first choice. So um, yeah. it's not like they can go back and pick somebody else at this point. So <laughs> I, so I guess I have to kind of fan talk myself into it. I mean, it's what I'm going to be stuck with for the year. And when it doesn't work out, I guess I'll sit around and say, I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll just talk the whole time and say, I knew it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely not the pick I wanted him to make. Uh, yeah. It was a, a quote unquote need pick, which mm -hmm. I, I'm not as big of a fan of in the NBA. Uh, I think you, you take the best player on your board and 
and roll with it just because, you know, especially if, if it's somebody with a high upside that can do more than th- more than one thing. Uh, Luke Kennard was a, a very good college player. Uh, could put up points in bunches, could shoot, uh, could even step in and play some point if you needed it. But different monster when you step up to the NBA where pretty much everybody's a five-star athlete. Uh, like like you alluded to, Ty, I think he's going to have trouble finding this shot. I think he's going to turn into a catch-and-shoot type player, uh, which is not bad to have those, but I'm not – I'm not a huge fan of making that your lottery pick mm-hmm. uh, when there are other players that are more built for the NBA style of play there. Uh, and I'm going to have to be shown that he's not going to be a liability on defense. Cause I mean, e- even if he does turn out to be an elite level NBA shooter, are you going to have to take him off the court uh, if it's a close game? Because whoever is on him is going to call a ISO every time. Uh, because we're, we're getting to, on the defensive end, we're getting to that point in the NBA where, you know, like you look at the Warriors who basically switch off every screen because they're confident that they have five, four to five defenders on the court at all times. And, I mean, Steph is their worst defender, but he's not terrible. He's, he's not a good defender, but he's not bad. Like, Kanar projects as a bad defender to me at the NBA level. So, yes, they needed a shooter. They got a shooter. Uh, and I, th- I think he will be a good shooter in the NBA, but like I said, I think he's going to be a spot-up type guy, not somebody that can get to the rack and make his own shot uh, in tight situations in games. So hopefully I'm proven wrong, like you said, Ty. Hopefully yeah. he turns out to be a diamond in the rough and the smarts that he used in college translate uh, to still get him around superior athletes and he can play lanes to stay in front of people. But I, I don't believe in magic. So, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I can't remember if I've said it on here before, but I know I've told you guys, you know, you're, you're, anybody can be a stud in high school, but not all studs are, you know, the stud on the team in college right away. And the stud on the college team is a target in the pros. So, I mean, like, granted, I think Grayson Allen has a bit of a bigger target from Duke on his back than Luke Kennard would. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's the idea that just because you could do it in college is not a guarantee for the pros. And getting to the rim in college, where it's a tighter called game, is a lot different than getting to the rim than the pros. Like, it's, it's a big learning curve. Granted, we don't know that from experience. We just know it from what we've been told by previous players. So, it, to me, I just hope he can be like the third year Flippers JJ Redick. <laughs> uh, you know, a guy that could get in with his shot. I, I don't. I don't want to have to go through the growing pains that JJ Redick went through in Orlando. Um, if we have to wait three years for Luke Kennard to turn into anything, I'm going to say it's a bad pick. Uh, you know, just looking at some of the players they passed on, kind of made me 
you know, still question a little bit. You know, I, it's it's always different when it's your team that's drafted too. And and I'll go ahead and say that you're always a little more picky. You're a little more skeptical, and it's you always want what's best for your team. And granted, with the seat that we are in, we always think we know what's best for our team. So that that's the disclaimer I'm already throwing out the window. But I, I just I just don't know what we're going to get out of Luke Kennard. I hope it's better than worse. Because the Pistons can use it. The Pistons should have been a playoff team last year. They just underperformed big time, in my opinion. Uh, especially after making the playoffs the year before. So, I don't know. Uh, this, the other player we talked about, Zach Collins, went a little earlier than I thought he would. Uh, I think we'd all kind of agree we didn't expect him to go that early. Um, but, you know... Hopefully Luke Kennard proves us wrong. I really hope he does. I hope he comes out and scores a hundred points a game for for all I care. You know, anything to help the Pistons in a positive direction, uh, I'm all for. So hopefully Stan Van Gundy knows what he's doing with this pick. Uh, I mean, I can't really say any of the draft picks he's made before have been studs. So uh, you know, let, let's just hope that Luke Kennard can turn into something at least worth value and. Can help the Pistons get back to the playoffs. All right, guys. Uh, anything else to add? You know, whether for the Pistons, NBA, UFC, or whatever. No. Yeah, I think we uh we touched the NBA pretty good for sure. Yeah. All right, guys. As always, I appreciate y'all checking us out. Um, you can find us. On Twitter at DKM underscore cast. Uh, you can also check out this podcast on websites like SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes. Just hit us up in that search engine. Uh, but that was it, man. Appreciate y'all for listening as always. Uh, to the Americans out there listening, y'all have a good fourth and uh, we'll catch y'all next time. Peace.